his Christian questions. John Chrysostom once said, God, having placed good and evil in our power, has given us full freedom of choice. He does not keep back the unwilling, but embraces the willing. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions Talk Radio with a Purpose with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience and promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Rick, that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. Jonathan, the best part is this. We talk and you listen, and then you talk and we listen. You can also contact us at our website, ChristianQuestions.net. I'm Rick. And I'm Jonathan. And we're glad you've chosen to spend some time with us. And Jonathan, what is our topic for this fine Sunday morning? Well, Rick, our question is, should you not be a Christian? Part 3. And our theme text is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. The Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. So then, let no one boast in men. So, Jonathan, uh, several weeks ago, it's probably going on maybe two months ago now, we began working on a response to a YouTube video sent to us by a college student entitled, Why I Am No Longer a Christian. It was a one and a half hour step-by-step presentation about how another young man went from devoted Christian to atheist. It was a well-done, non-inflammatory treatise on why the author now believed Christianity to to be just a story. So today is our final part. It is part three of this series, and we will primarily focus on the core issues of his reasoning that drove him away from Christianity and into the camp of atheism. And really the bottom line question is, how valid are the points that he, he makes? And so what we say is, folks, stay with us and judge for yourself. Well, there was so much in an hour and a half that he presented that we just had to break it down. Yeah, and we essentially break it, broke it down into 30-minute increments. We took the first 30 minutes in our first program, the second 30 minutes in our second program, and now we're taking the final 30 minutes of that uh, presentation. And we'll, we'll be hearing from this young man uh, frequently through sound bites uh, as we go through the program. Very fascinating, and as we get started, I w- just want to say this by way of uh, full and fair disclosure. Um, first of all, um, I... Uh, heartily disagree with <laughs> with the young man, obviously. But I have great personal respect because he seems to me to be incredibly sincere. He, he seemed to be very sincere in his Christianity, mm-hmm. and he is just as deeply sincere in his atheism. And, mm-hmm. and you have to have respect for somebody sure. like that. Sure. They're, they're telling you what they truly think and why it is they believe what they believe. Uh, we just think that he's misguided. And and reading the question, should you not be a Christian? Uh, you know, with poor examples and false guides and improper understandings of God's word, it's no wonder Christianity would be questioned. And I think that's one of the points we're going to see very dramatically here is uh, when you look at Christianity and, and the questions about it, you've got to ask yourself, well, what what form of Christianity is coming under question? Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's really where we're going to begin. So let's start actually with a soundbite from this young man uh, from his YouTube video, Why I Am No Longer a Christian. And he's talking about God's hand being in everything. Since I was young, I have been taught to see God in everything. Any miraculous event, any scientific wonder, any mathematical intricacy, any fortuitous personal interaction all were assigned ownership to God. God was the source of all beauty, all power, and all knowledge. Anything I experience, 
both good and bad, was because of him, and all things led to his glory. All things worked out for the best, through him, even when they seemed bad. Ultimately, God's hand guided everything, including my life. So he's giving a, this is his perception of, of Christianity. And we, we hear that. We say, you know, God's hand in everything. We certainly like that. We like that sense of God's hand in everything. And actually, Jonathan James one seventeen gives us a, a, kind of a sense of that. And that reads, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So here's the thing, and here's where we have to be careful in our understanding of what it means to have God's hand in everything. Does that mean that when um, you have a complex mathematical equation, God put that equation there? Or did God simply create the, the basis of mathematics and, and how mathematics works and allow us to develop? Oh, interesting. So We did a program recently on the brain having these pre-programmed yes, math, math. Yeah, yeah. That was interesting. Right, right, because of that guy who became a mathematical genius. Because he was kicked in the head so yeah, many times? Yeah, so you can say, literally because he had brain damage. Oh. And you say, well, how did, how did he learn that? And I think the answer was, perhaps it was already there and uh, to, to be understood. So, but here, here's the thing. This young man says that, okay, God, uh, everything good or bad that happened to me was at, because of God. And when you look at the scriptures, that's not exactly what they say God's role is in our lives. And I think this is an important distinction to make as we look at, because, you know, his Christianity fell apart. It, it didn't hold itself together. Why did it fall apart? Well, because I think he had it, an improper view of God and how, how our Christianity is to work. And folks, before you read the scripture, we're going to be going to James 1, 12 to 15. If you have a thought, it's 866 985 4255 Toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And we want to hear what you have to say about today's topic. Post your comments on our Facebook page and our blog. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. All right, so if everything is credited to God, then how do we explain this next scripture, James 1, 12 to 15? Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Alright, so right there it's saying God cannot be tempted of evil, and he does not tempt anyone. So then you have to say, well then, well if it's not from God, where does it come from? There has to be another source. Let's finish the scripture. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. See, free choice gives us temptation. It's not God planting the temptation. Every evil thing, every hard thing that happens to us doesn't come from God, but God allows our freedom of choice to bring those things to us. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And that's never good, incidentally. J just saying. Uh, and Jonathan, here, here's the thing. When we look at this, this young man's view of Christianity and his view of God, to me, and th this is an observation on my part, okay? To me, the more grandiose and sensational we claim God to be from a childlike perspective, the more we set ourselves up for future failure unless we grow up. Example, when you were little, you know, your, your, your dad, yeah, my was, dad was big and strong. Oh, yeah. Like, was he like the best guy in the world? Oh, for sure. He, he wasn't tougher than my dad, though. 
Oh, I don't know about that. No, my dad, my dad was the toughest. Well, my dad could sing yeah. incredibly. How my, about your dad? My dad couldn't sing, but I bet he could have picked up a car. Y- your dad could pick up a car? He was strong. I mean, when you think about it, little kids, especially little boys, you know, they, when they talk about their dads, they have this, this exaggerated image because their dad is the center of their life. That's right. He can pick them right up, put them up on his shoulders. Right. No problem. He could do anything <laughs> he wanted to because he was so... And, and, and what happens is, as a little child, unless you grow out of that, at some point, you're going to be sorely disappointed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's the same thing with our image of God. If we have this image of God that is not real, and another, and you're saying, well, wait, well, Rick, are you taking away the greatness of God? No, we're adding to the greatness of God by saying God is a God that gives us freedom of choice, gives us the ability to go our own way, gives us the ability to see and understand and learn and to, st- to, to, to step up and to fail, gives us the ability to experience sin. That, to me, is a great God because there's an end result to all of that. Yes. But this young man would not see God through those eyes. He would see them through the eyes, I think, this is, again, my own observation, of the eyes of a little, little kid looking at his dad saying, well, my dad's stronger than your dad. And there's so much more to that story. His picture of God was imagined. I, I think so. I really think so. And it was very much based on emotion. And that's where I think so much of this went wrong. And as a matter of fact, let's go to another soundbite uh, from the YouTube video, Why I Am No Longer a Christian. And this really shows the emotional setup that his Christianity was really, truly built on. Whenever I could see clearly through a situation in my life, I knew it was because of God. I learned to associate any numinous experience with the guidance and presence of God. I learned to associate the insight I received in both prayer and thought with the guidance of God. In fact, sometimes this guidance felt so personal that I could literally feel Jesus' presence like he was sitting next to me or in my heart. Just as the Bible said, Jesus had knocked on the door of my heart and asked me to open up, and I had done so. Jesus lived in my heart and affected every action I took. All right, now, and here, here's where it gets a little difficult because there are certain things, Jonathan, cer- certain assumptions that he makes here that I, I'm going to challenge just because he's saying, well, Jesus lived in my heart. I don't know if Jesus lived in his heart. And, and you say, well, <laughs> how do you know? I don't know, okay? But I really think that there was so much emotionalism that it crowded out what Jesus really stood for. First of all, let's go to a little bit of scripture where I think he gets this idea about, you know, Jesus knocking on the door of your heart. Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. And that is a scripture from the, uh, the uh, message to the seventh stage of the church in Revelation. So that is a sort of a general message to say that, uh, you know, I'm returned in here and ready to fellowship directly with you. Um, But there's a difference between feeling Jesus in your heart and having Jesus in your heart. Last week, we talked about, remember the the S-T-A-R? That's right, yes. The the head versus the heart. Mm -hmm. And the conclusion was there's a lot of scriptures about the heart because the heart has more influence, but it's more susceptible. That's right. So you have to have both of them working together. And my perception of this young man is that his Christianity had almost no head involved and almost all heart. 
Okay. And the problem with Out that, of balance. And the problem with that is this young man was a very theory-oriented, a very strong thinker. So when he got to college and started talking to his professors, things changed. Because his Christianity didn't grow up with him, and when he applied his mind, because he's a smart man... Of course Christianity was going to crumble in his hands, because it, it didn't, wasn't held together by anything. Anyway, Ephesians 4, 14 to 15. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful schemings. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. And so, Jonathan, what this is saying is you shouldn't be children tossed here and there by the waves of doctrine. You need to know what you believe and you need to know why. But if you're emotionally based, you can be tossed to and fro. Easily tossed to and fro because emotions are not stable. But the basis of understanding truth is something stable. And, you know, having Jesus in your heart includes mental application uh, uh, and One more scripture before we end this segment. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. So think about it this way. Perhaps Satan doesn't want Christianity to progress and to to keep its hold. So if Satan uh, pushes the agenda of making Christianity purely an emotional experience, then we don't grow up. And then when things are become difficult, we, t- we falter and we fall. It sounds like a, a good scheme, doesn't it? And I, we, I, I really think that this young man fell into that situation where he did not have true core values of scripture and truth behind his thinking. Feelings are good if based on understanding. Head and heart. And, and really, and as, as we investigate this, we're going to see how much more uh, his thinking was off in terms of Christianity. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, Should You Not Be a Christian? Part 3. Coming up, the young man's strongest proof of God in the past was speaking in tongues, moved by the Holy Spirit. Was that a mistake? That's next. <laughs> You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Should You Not Be a Christian? Part 3. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now on our website, ChristianQuestions.net. And Jonathan, in the last segment, uh, we were, I was, very pointed about uh, pointing out flaws in, in this young man's Christianity. And, you know, the, the point is not to say, well, you know, well, you know, Rick, you're sitting in the seat of judgment here. What we're attempting to do is, is, is make judgments on the conclusions that he made and the value of those conclusions. And we're going to continue to do that. And this is, no, this is not a personal reflection. It is trying to understand someone's conclusion and say, okay, well, no wonder it, it didn't work mm-hmm. when you conclude it this way or that way. There's no doubt in my mind, Jonathan, this young man is way smarter than I am. Uh, he is very intelligent. <laughs> See, he, is. Say, he is smarter than you, Rick. We know that. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> but he is very intelligent, for and, sure. And, and a lot of folks in his camp are, are, are way smarter than we are. And, and that's, that's, that's not the issue. It is understanding what Christianity really, really is. I want to go, again, to another soundbite here. Uh, and this really 
this one really illustrates to me how far off that we think his Christianity, his basis for his Christianity was. Listen, listen carefully to what he says here. I was certain that just as the writings of the Bible had been inspired by God, so was I. These images were my guide, and the things they said had to be discerned with careful thought, prayer, and discussion with others. These images were powerful and carried deep meaning. They were one of the most frequent ways that I felt God communicated with me. It became difficult sometimes to determine whether the images I saw were coming from God or my own imagination. But I always knew which was which because of the feelings associated with them. I came to believe that Holy Spirit images were those which I felt at church or were associated with religious themes such as God's will or the Bible. These, I knew, were the Holy Spirit. I felt God's tangible presence in church. A lot of things in that sound by Jonathan that I think need to be uh, addressed. Uh, first of all, the the end, you know, he could tell which was because of the feelings. feelings yeah. Okay, again, head versus heart. Go to last week's program, folks, and listen to that. We did last week's program before this purposely to lay out the difference between a heart approach to something and a head approach and how if you don't have both working together, you really are at a tremendous, tremendous disadvantage. And his Christianity looked like it was all heart and no head. It really did. First thing he said in that in that in that sound by Jonathan, I was certain that just as the writers had been inspired by God, so was I. And the first time I heard that, I have to admit, I popped a cork <laughs> <laughs> because it, it is that is so far off of what the inspiration of the writing of the the Bible was all about. And and so let's explain, folks. If you have a thought. We're looking at Christianity, we're asking the question, well, should you not be a Christian in light of this, quote, evidence, unquote? Uh, our number, 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And if you have more to say after the program, you can write us at Christian Questions, P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320. And you have to check out CQ Rewind, especially on this program, Rick. We have a lot of things in the bonus material that we just don't have time to cover. Yeah, and a lot of it covers some of the scientific things that you look at and say, oh my gosh, really? And what they do, Jonathan, is they prove design. And, and that's the point here. Uh, that's going to be one of the core points of this whole program is there is, there is, there is intelligent design. And not only that, we'll, we'll, we'll stretch that now, not only intelligent design, but an intelligent plan for the world of mankind. I'm going on alone with All that. Right. Huh? Only <laughs> at ChristianQuestions.net. Okay, so let's examine the inspiration of the writers of the scripture, because this young man says, I was certain that just like the scriptures were written by inspired people, I was inspired just like them. Second Timothy three fourteen to 17 You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith. Okay, known the sacred writings. The sacred writings. He's talking about the The, scriptures. The Old Testament. The Old Testament. Sure. Go ahead. Um, Through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired of God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped, for every good work. There was not a single word in there about how you feel. 
There wasn't. There was the fact that all scripture, the Old Testament, the, the, the law and the prophets were inspired by God. Well, what does that mean? That is a, and we're going we're gonna to look at that very, very uh, thoroughly in just a moment here. Let's go back to another soundbite, though, from our, our young man, uh, Why I Am No Longer a Christian, his YouTube uh, presentation. And let's look at, before we describe what Scripture being inspired by God really means, let's look at what he saw as the strongest proof. Now, now this Scripture already told us what we have as the strongest proof. Mm -hmm. The sacred writings, that's what we're supposed to hold on to. Well, let's listen to what his strongest proof of his Christianity was. I felt God's presence personally when I prayed for the Holy Spirit to return to me and cause me to speak in tongues again which is something I did almost every night for almost a year after becoming baptized. When speaking with atheists in online forums in college, I felt God would lay specific words on my heart to share with them. These words would come in a jolt of inspiration and clarity, where I felt God would show me precisely what to say and what words to share. This feeling guided my every word with the professor. These perceptions of a personal relationship with God were my strongest evidence that he existed. All right. These perceptions of a personal relationship with God were my strongest evidence that he existed. So he, by his own description, based his strongest evidence on how he felt. Mm-hmm. His strongest evidence of God on how he felt. Well... Jonathan, that's just, again, that reminds me of the little boy talking about his dad. Well, my dad can pick up a car. He could pick up two cars. He could pick up two cars in a dump truck. (laughs) I mean, you know, that kind of thinking, it it, it is well-meaning, but it is not well-placed. And I think that's what we need to see here. Scripture is inspired by God. You know, the, the word inspired by God is, is all one word in, in, the, in the Greek language. And what does it mean? Inspired by God. <laughs> okay, so, so, but here's the thing, Jonathan. The only time in the Bible that word is used is in that scripture. In the Second Timothy 3 scripture. Right, and it's talking about all scripture is inspired by God. Nothing else, all scripture is inspired by God. So that phrase is really dedicated to scripture. And it is, scripture is defined in this, the sacred writings which were able to give you wisdom. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it really is defined as the Old Testament. And the logic from it. So are we saying then, oh, okay, so the Old Testament was inspired by God, but the New Testament, which you guys quote all the time, we're saying it wasn't inspired by God? I mean, how did it become inspired by God? You know, do we just feel like it should be, therefore it is? Or is there more to it than that? You're listening to Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, Should You Not Be a Christian? Part 3. Stay connected to Rick and I at ChristianQuestions.net no matter the day or time. So we've got a clear picture that all scripture is inspired by God. And so when, when this young man says he was uh, inspired the same way the writers of the, of the scriptures were, uh, it, it, there's no room for that. There's not even any room for that. Well, how about the New Testament? Is there some kind of authority that gives us the the ability to look at the New Testament and say, yes, that was also inspired in the same way as the Old Testament? And the answer is yes. 
We do have that authority. If we look at Second Peter chapter 3, verses 14 to 17, and we'll just read parts of it, this really helps us to put this, this picture together. Regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. Okay, no, 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 pause there for a second, because, you know, a lot of people say, um, a lot of critics of Scripture say, well, you know, you had Peter's gospel, and you had Paul's gospel, and the two really didn't agree, and there was this divergence in the, old, in, in, in the, in the early church, and Paul won. Well, this is Peter talking about Paul. And what does he, how does he present him? Our beloved brother Paul. According to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. So, the Apostle Peter is, is, is looking at Paul's example and saying, look, he's written to you according to the wisdom given to him by God. So, it takes that, that sense of, well, it was Peter's gospel and Paul's gospel, and it takes a lot of that out. It does. Because it shows Peter's deep and utter respect for the Apostle Paul. And let continue now. As also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which we are some, uh, which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Okay, so oh, okay, to the good. to their own destruction. All right, so he says, so in all of his letters, so it's not just that he just wrote to you, but he's written all of these letters, and he's looking at them. He say, and he's he's explaining things that are hard to understand which are easily distorted. Mm -hmm. And then he says something very profound. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on the guard, so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. All right, so he's, he's looking at this and saying, you've got to be on your guard. Don't fall prey to unprincipled men where the distortion of these writings of the Apostle Paul would come into play. But what he said just before that, before you read that last section, was um, that the scriptures are distorted by these unprincipled people as they do the rest of the scriptures. So this is giving authority for the New Testament also to be inspired. Exactly, of God. because it's saying these writings, these letters of the Apostle Paul must be considered scripture, just like the ancient writings of the Old Testament. So the Apostle Peter, the man who was there with Jesus throughout Jesus' ministry, who had the most dramatic uh, examples in his life in terms of success and failure alongside of Jesus, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is looking at the Apostle Paul and saying that his writings ought to be considered as Scripture just like the old, just like the rest of the scriptures. These are sacred writings that we are to look at and learn from and realize they are God's word to us. If you have a thought, give us a call at 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now and our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And again, Jonathan, there's nothing here about how you feel about it. No. There's nothing here about feeling like Jesus is sitting next to you. There's nothing here uh, in, in terms of feeling good because you're able to do this or that. It's all about the understanding of the sacred, written Word of God. And this young man, in his Christianity, if you remember the last program we did on this, he had several problems in understanding. Mm -hmm. Remember he got bored with the Old Testament because he, he had a previously uh, um, uh, developed expectation of what was going to be in the Old Testament. Right. And when he saw all these laws and rituals, he was he like... kind of skipped them and moved on. Yeah, like, well, what's, what's the good of this? Mm -hmm. What he didn't see is the good of it. 
He didn't see why it was there. He didn't see as, as, as the Old Testament being there as a pattern for the development of the life of Jesus. He just, he, it just, that was beyond him. Again, not head, but only heart. And you know what? If you don't have your head involved in the Old Testament, you're, it is going to be boring. Mm-hmm. That's true. Because you have to have that, that gain that understanding. Here's what scriptural inspiration produced. Prophecy and insight into the plan of God. That's the reason for this scriptural inspiration. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Have you not read what was spoken to you by God? That tells us that reading... Theory, theory. Right. reading, Reading the words of scripture is seeing the mind of God toward man. And if you're not reading and grasping the words of Scripture, you're not getting the mind of God. If you're just feeling what you think might be the mind of God, it's not going to bring you where the, the, the depth of Scripture will bring you. And, and that's just the way it is. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com or .net. And Jonathan, we don't have time to read it, but Luke 12, 11, and 12 talks about uh, what the true follower of Jesus has promised. Not inspiration like the writers of the, of the scriptures, but what, what the true follower of Christ is promised is that when you are put into a situation brought before the authorities because of your Christianity, yes. the Spirit, God's power and influence, is going to help you understand what to say. It's not saying that in every aspect of your life he's going to help you how you feel. It's going, it says that when you are put on the spot and you don't have time because you've already done your work as a Christian, you've already seen to grasp the sacred writings, the Spirit will guide you in what to say in defense of the gospel. And, and that is very different from what this young man was thinking. Mm. What this young man was thinking is, hey, I'm just like the people that wrote the Bible. No, you're not. None of us are. None of us are. What we must do is study the sacred writings and study to understand them and then apply them to our lives. You apply them with your head and with your heart, not just with your heart, forgetting about your head. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, Should You Not Be a Christian? Part 3. Coming up, when failure happens in our life, do you blame God? How about disappointments, trials, and tribulations? Is that when we question God's existence? It's all about me, right? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Should You Not Be a Christian? Part 3. If you have a thought, give us a call at 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now on our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And, Jonathan, as we go through this discussion and we're looking at this young man's reasoning, and really, Jonathan, his reasoning based on, his basis for Christianity, I think, was deeply, deeply flawed. And because you have a flawed basis, you know, if you have a flawed foundation, don't expect to be able to build a house on it that's going to last. Right. And, and I think that's really where, where he ends up. And we're going to spend a few minutes here talking about failure. What happens when failure shows up? What happens in your Christian life when you meet head-on with failure? Well, well, first of all, we're taught 
to expect that kind of thing to happen in 1 Peter 4, 12 to 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing was happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So it says, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. And again, how do you share the sufferings of Christ? You have to know the sufferings of Christ. You have to be immersed in the sufferings of Christ. And just just a quick note. Next hour, Jonathan, especially for those folks who were not on in their area for the second hour, you go to ChristianQuestions.com, click on Listen Live and stay with us. We're going to be talking about simulacrum, documentary, hypothesis, and Occam's razor. Wow. <laughs> what are they? <laughs> well, and again, there's more of an academic and scientific approach mm-hmm. that this young man brings up as all proofs against Christianity. And we're going to look at those things the way he describes them, and obviously we'll have our own comments on such things. Yes. So that's, that's all coming up next hour. Again, if we're not on in your area, go to ChristianQuestions.com, click on Listen Live, and stay with us. The conversation will continue. So this young man apparently, and remember, he's young during this whole thing. Mm-hmm. He's, he doesn't, he's not beyond age 21 or 22 because he's in college when all this is happening. Right. So he meets now with failure suddenly while he's going to college. And let's listen to his... Uh, his his description of, of his failure and what happened. A few months before meeting the professor, I was suddenly experiencing an unprecedented failure in my coursework through a statistics class that I was taking. In response to these failures, I had only heightened my devotion to prayer and seeking God's guidance. I read the Bible diligently, seeking the wisdom of God that had been shown by Paul in the New Testament. I went to church and tried to see God's guidance in my fellow Christians. But most of all, I listened for that voice and looked for those images that seemed to have guided me throughout my entire degree up to this point. But nothing was working. This was the first time that this had ever happened in my life. God's will had seemed so clear when I was younger, but suddenly nothing was working. Suddenly God's will seemed hidden from me. Nothing seemed profound. Nothing seemed important. Nothing seemed like it had the clear marker of God's will. I felt lost in an ocean of information. So he was really uh, perplexed. Struggling. He met with what he calls unprecedented failure. In a course. Statistics right. course. Right. So, in other words, he is a smart young man, obviously. Again, way smarter than me. Way, way smarter than me. And, he, and he's going through and, and he's ex- just, he's always excelling, always excelling. And now he, he's meeting his match, so to speak, and he's not excelling. So he says, well, I heightened my devotion to God. He heightened his feeling toward God. He says, I read the Bible, but more importantly, I looked for that voice. So he says that the, the most important thing to me was the sense that feeling of, of God in my life, not the reality of God in his life. And, and, and of course you're destined to fail if that's what you're basing your Christianity on. Of course you're going to fail. And it's interesting because, you know, the, that voice inside of him was the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Well, interestingly, when pressed to show proof of the majesty of Jesus, Peter does refer to a voice. Let's, let's, let's look at this. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. For skillfully devised fables, not having followed out, We did make known to you the power and presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, for having received from God the Father honor and glory, such a voice being born to him by the excellence, glory, 
This is my Son, the Beloved, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice we did hear, out of heaven born, being with him in the holy mount. So Peter does refer to a voice, but it wasn't a voice in his head or in his mind. No, it was from heaven, from God. And the Mount of Transfiguration and the vision that they saw, Peter, James, and John, they heard the voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He literally heard the voice from heaven as they saw this vision. So instead of listening for a voice that comes down from heaven, because you know what, you and I aren't going to get that. No. We're not apostles. No. We have to find the voice of the old, old story. And Peter, his next statement in this, in this scripture says, okay, this is what I heard, but... And we have more firm the prophetic word to which we do well giving heed, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, till day may dawn and a morning star may arise in your hearts. So it says, okay, I heard this voice, but we have a more firm prophetic word the bible right so it's saying there is yes there i had a personal experience but more firm than my own personal experience is the prophetic word of god that is powerful that is that is telling us how our christianity is supposed to be built peter is saying here's the most important thing and this this young man with this 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 video why i'm no longer christian did not have that at all let's finish up those verses This first knowing that no prophecy of the writing doth come of private exposition. For not by will of man did ever prophecy come, but by the Holy Spirit, born on holy men, of God spake. So it's putting it all in perspective in terms of how how a Christian is supposed to derive their core value and strength. And it's not from the voices that we hear inside of ourselves. No. And it's not from how we feel. It is from the more sure, more firm, prophetic word. Now, the Bereans were very scholarly in their take on the Old Testament and Jesus and the apostles. They worked hard to understand. Right. They diligently were reading and studying and questioning. And and the apostle drew attention to that and said, this is... This is a very important way, way to approach things. And, and again, Peter in this verse says, and we have the more firm prophetic word, to which we do well giving heed. So if you are giving heed to, the, and that prophetic word was largely the Old Testament at this point in time, remember that. That's right. Okay, almost everything they had was Old Testament. So he was saying, remember again, in, in our last episode on, on, on this, Should You Not Be a Christian in Part 2, uh, the young man was trying to read through the Old Testament and quickly got bored with it. Yes. And yet the Apostle Peter is saying, give heed to what's there. Because that's the core of what your Christianity is built on. So again, Jonathan, if you have a view of how Christianity is supposed to work, and, but it's a very childlike view, it is going to crumble when you grow up and see reality. It just is. Most of us as children have a view of the way life ought to be and we grow up and we find out that there aren't real superheroes. You know, you find out that you can't, you really can't run faster and jump higher, you know, and, and, and all of these things. And just because you wear your underwear on the outside doesn't make you, you stronger, you know, because like, you know, like a mighty mouse thing. I, I shouldn't say that because that's revealing some of my past. <laughs> the conversation continues next hour online and throughout the week. Christian Questions is live Sunday mornings and on demand with tons of topics to talk about featured in our audio archive CQ Rewind Facebook and our blog go to ChristianQuestions.com so when you're looking for your core strength make sure 
that our core strength comes from its true source and not from ourself. That's the primary lesson. And so when things started to fall apart, of course it made sense they fell apart. And here is where he really begins, this next soundbite is where he really begins to falter. And then it's all downhill from here. Uh, this, is, this is very telling. I was worried about no longer feeling that I could clearly discern God's will. I was worried about the fact that I no longer seemed to feel anything when I went to church, and that I no longer felt the Holy Spirit pushing me to speak in tongues. I was worried by the fact that when I did speak in tongues, it no longer seemed to feel special, but rather, for some unknown reason, they suddenly felt hollow and rehearsed. How many times did he say feel and felt in that 25 seconds? A lot. <laughs> and, and, and folks, that's the point. If that's where your Christianity finds its basis, you are in trouble. As a Christian, I, I don't know how else to say it. Because that is not what Christianity is made of. Christianity is not sugar and spice and everything nice. It is something stronger, bigger, and much more powerful. And Rick, what was the sole purpose of speaking in tongues? It was to communicate the gospel to those in another language by speaking in their native language. So what you're saying is in the New Testament, when individuals spoke in tongues, and this is very clear in the scriptures, very clear, and folks, look, this is a subject for another day. We're just yes. going to just briefly touch on it for a moment here. But the idea of speaking in tongues was not, was not according to Scripture, to, to edify and build up yourself. It wasn't an emotional thing. No, it was to proclaim the gospel to somebody who, you, whose language you did not naturally understand. That's what it was for. 1 Corinthians 14, 6-9. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues... What will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? Okay, so what he's saying, the Apostle Paul is being very profound and very direct here. He's saying, if I come to you speaking in tongues... Unless I'm, I'm, I'm also giving you revelation of knowledge and prophecy and teaching, it's useless. He said an instrument, if an instrument is just going to make sounds, blaring sounds, you can't tell what, what the tune is. So he's saying if you don't understand the tune, the, the instrument shouldn't be making the blaring sounds because it is disruptive and uncomfortable and not there for its purpose. Continuing, so also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. So the apostle is clearly saying that speaking in tongues, if you're doing it without interpretation, speaking in tongues, and first of all, Jonathan, the word for tongue literally meant language. Okay? So if you're speaking in some other language, but there's nobody there to understand that other language, why are you doing it? You're speaking into the air. You're not teaching someone right, something. Right, you're not using the ability of tongues to proclaim the gospel of Christ. That's what it was there for. That miracle of being able to speak a language you did not know or understand, and it was a miracle that God put in place to spread the gospel, that miracle was there for that reason. And this, and unfortunately, I believe that the, that the concept of tongues has been way distorted now 2,000 years later. Very wow. distorted. And the idea of, of speaking for the, for the self-building up, there is a scriptural phrase that talks about that, 
But when you analyze where that scriptural phrase is, it's not saying that in a, in a very, very positive way. No. It's giving us a sense that it, it's, it's, you know what, you're, you just, just, just build, you're just, just building yourself up. You're not doing anything valuable. Nothing valuable with that. So, so Jonathan, uh, again, in the second hour, we're going to be talking about some scientific and, and academic things that this young man looked at in terms of um, why he walked away from Christianity. And, and you 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 got to stay with us for that. Also, check out CQ Rewind for, for all this information. It, it is very important because you have it written and there's so much that we're not able to discuss. But here, here's the bottom line. Wrapping up this hour, Jonathan, this young man was building his Christian life upon a foundation of how he felt. The inspiration that he was sure that he had, the inner voice that he heard, the tongues that he spoke, and the success that he experienced. Understand, all of those things are not foundation stones of Christianity. Those are all results of foundation stones of Christianity. But it's very obvious that he built his Christianity on the results and not the foundation. So you would expect something built on just results and not foundation to crumble. In the next hour, the reasoning that he applied to become an atheist, because when he looked back at his Christianity, surprise, it was hollow. Well, of course it was, because he wasn't using the scriptures as they were meant to be used by Christians. For Jonathan and Rick, it's Christian Questions. We will be back after the news and all of that for the second hour. Please stay with us for that. Leave your, your thoughts on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you there. Or Rick at ChristianQuestions.net. You can e- email us there. But until the next hour, should you not be a Christian, lots more to talk about. We'll be back soon. Think about it. Christian Questions. R. Allen Woods once said, The free will of man cannot impugn the sovereignty of God, and conversely, the sovereignty of God would not impugn the free will of men. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Christian Questions Talk Radio with your breakfast with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Jonathan, what is that topic this morning? Well, Rick, our question is, should you not be a Christian? Part 3. And our theme text is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. The Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. So then, let no one boast in men. And, you know, we've talked, we've read that scripture several times and haven't really commented on it, but I think it speaks for itself it really does. in relation to what we're talking about. We're looking at uh, the, and this is our last hour on this subject, we're looking at the video on YouTube called Why I Am No Longer a Christian, and uh, taking it piece by piece by piece. We did a, a three-part series on this, so it was essentially six hours of radio. Uh, and we did, in each of these uh, two-hour programs, we took about 30 minutes of this hour-and-a-half video on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And really tried to understand it and analyze it. And, Jonathan, what we found in the first hour this morning is 
that this young man's view of Christianity was very, very, very unbalanced. Yes, and it was based on feelings and emotions. Right, right. And those, he said, in his own words, were the most important things. And when those feelings ceased to guide him, then there was this massive mountain of doubt in front of him. And emptiness, yep. And because the young man was a thinker, when it came down to applying logic and reason, and he hadn't done that ever really in his Christian life, through reasoning on scriptures and so forth, it's no wonder that his Christianity crumbled. It is no wonder. So, now we're going to get into some of the academic uh, things that, that drew him away from Christianity and some of the scientific things. The first thing we're going to talk about is simulacrum. It is. So, yes. what is it? Ah, simulacrum, my friend. <laughs> Glad you asked. Let's go to a soundbite and get a sense of... Um, well, actually, here, let me, let me, before we do the soundbite, let me just read a couple of lines on, on the, the, the definition of simulacrum. This is, and this is all in Seeker Rewind, the full edition. Okay. Okay, in the bonus material. Uh, you can sign up for that at ChristianQuestions.net, and there's a whole long explanation, but here's just a few lines. The documentary, hypo- oh, I'm sorry, no, I'm, I'm sorry, that, that's, that's the next segment. I'm ahead of myself. He explains simulacrum uh, by himself. He doesn't need me. <laughs> Let's go to the soundbite. The concept of God is intricate and profound. If it were real, it would have drastic implications for the world we live in. But in all of academia, through all disciplines, we have found no reason to believe that it is anything more than a concept. Given what we know, God is just a concept. The professor's words echoed the sentiment of the philosopher Jean Baudrillard, whose work I had briefly encountered a few months before. Baudrillard defines the term simulacrum as something that is only an image of something either real or imagined, but that is interacted with as if it really is what it represents. This interaction can be referred to as a simulation of what a real interaction with the real thing would be like. Okay, so simulacrum is something that is only an image of something real or imagined, but that is interacted with as if it was really what it represents. Okay. So, <laughs> video games would, right. would fit into this explanation. Good. Games, help, help me understand. Okay, games that you virtually, you know, the, the, the Wii games, you virtually play tennis or baseball or go bowling. Sure. Or games that you shoot, stab, and mutilate. Those are uh-huh. all simulacrum. They are a simulation of something real that you are interacting with and you get into as though when when you do those games, you you know if you're you're bowling in there, you're not really bowling, but you're you're you think you are. You're you're acting like you are. Mm-hmm. So you are placing yourself in a in a real position in, with something that is simply virtual. Okay. And what they're saying is, <clears throat> the big question is, if all of academia proclaims God is just a concept, then what is the alternative to belief in God? See, that you, you have to ask yourself the question, what is the alternative? What other way is there if God does not exist and God, just as all of, all of academia says, and that's a, quite a broad blanket statement to make it sure is. from a professor, all of academia. So there's not one corner of academia anywhere. No shred of proof that, 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 says, that says God is more than a concept. I, I didn't look into that, but I wonder, because whenever you make that broad kind of statement, you've got an awful lot of ground to, to protect. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, but what would the alternative be to belief in God? Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Total free, 866 985 
for all. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. The conversation continues online at ChristianQuestions.com. Contact us there with your questions or comments. Also, interact with us on our Facebook and our always updated blog. And if you have a suggestion for a topic, We'd love to hear it. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. And as a matter of fact, Jonathan, this topic is uh, based on a suggestion from a a young man, a college student, who emailed us several months ago and said, hey, there's this video on uh, YouTube. Uh, Would you respond to it? And uh, so it's taken us a long time (laughs) to respond uh, because it was so uh, complex. But uh, we are happy to do it. And we've got several other subjects that are coming up as and have done that are as a result of listener input. So we yes. really do, we really, really do value that. So, so again, folks, if you're saying, okay, well, you know, Christianity, maybe your brand of Christianity hasn't given you substance. Maybe it's giving you feeling, feeling, and you've been disappointed by that feeling. And now you're saying, well, you know, maybe academia is all right, and God is just a concept. Okay, let's follow that for just a moment. What's the alternative then? And you say, well, the alternative would be science. Okay, let's think about that, and let's put that in its place. I want to go back to another soundbite from this young man, and then I'm going to talk about where he's going, because there's a very important question. Now, remember, he's talking to this professor. Yep who is like in his 60s, and this guy is in his uh, early 20s, and this professor used to be a Christian, he's now a, a confirmed atheist, and he is walking, this professor is walking this young man through the reasons, or the reasoning that he says is pretty much uh, infallible in terms of why Christianity really has no leg to stand on. He asks an important question in a soundbite. Chris, do you see how it is possible that all of this, the entire history of religion, the entire history of the world, the entire history of the universe, and your entire religious life could have happened without God actually existing? As I read this question, my mind walked through all the arguments I had made for God throughout my life. I had always assumed that the reason my intercessory prayers were not answered with a supernatural frequency was because intercessory prayers contradicted with God's omniscience. I assumed that an omniscient God already knew what was best for me, and that it was me who needed to listen to Him, not the other way around. However, I could see how it was possible that my intercessory prayers weren't answered because there simply was no God there to answer them. Okay, so here he's, he's, he's asked this question by the professor, Chris, do you see how it is possible that the entire history of religion, the history of the world, the history of the universe and so forth could actually have happened without God actually existing? And he's, this is a question that turns him because his answer is going to be, yeah, I can see how it could, could have happened without God existing. And so, Jonathan, I want to focus on not the history of his personal religious experience, because frankly, I could see how that could happen without God existing. Okay. Okay, but I want to focus on the history of the world and the history of the universe, because that's part of the question. It is. All right. Science. So what's the alternative? And here, here's the thing, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm treating these as opposites, you know, religion and science. Really, they don't have to be. No, they don't. But for, for the moment, let's, let's go down that road. So the question now is, okay, I'm going to rely on science. Good. More power to you. Where does science begin? And Jonathan, here, instead of the professor asking a question, mm-hmm. Jonathan and Rick are going to ask a question. Is there design in the creation of the universe, or is it just a result of random occurrences? Is there design in the creation of the universe, or is it just a result of random occurrences? And you better be careful how you answer that question. 
because, well, I'll just say you better be careful how you answer that question. Okay, so lots and lots here. This is not a program on, on evolution versus creation, but th there, there is an element that we have to discuss here. So again, folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, just one thought. We're going to bring out some very small thoughts that actually are enormous, but most of us just don't think about it. Honeybees and flowers. Mm -hmm. Okay? If all of the world that we live in happened randomly, how the heck do you get honeybees and flowers and their interrelationship developing randomly without design? Honeybees need flowers and flowers need honeybees. That's right. Flowers can't talk. Flowers can't communicate. How did the flower develop so that the nectar would have to be pollinated by the honeybee? How did that happen in terms of a random occurrence? Because at some point, neither one could exist without the other. That's right. So how do you get to the point where they are interactive and they have to be interactive? Just a thought. How did that happen? Did they just suddenly spring up having the, 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 those, those, those parts in place? I think not. Well, and that's the point. It makes sense that they were designed that way. And folks, if you are saying, okay, I believe in science, but I don't believe in God, I don't believe in intelligent design, then you are forbidden to use the word designed when we talk about all of these things. Because when there is something is designed, that means there is a designer. Right. Okay. Just let's. So, how probable is evolution? John, this is a fascinating quote. Um, we got this from actually from David Stein. He, he presented this uh, several years ago on a program. In 1967, a group of biologists and mathematicians at MIT were discussing evolution by natural selection. The mathematicians were stunned by the optimism of the evolutionists about what could be achieved by chance. So wide was the rift that they organized a conference which was called Mathematical Challenges to the Neo-Darwin theory of evolution. So in other words, the mathematicians were stunned by how confident they were in chance because mathematically it didn't make sense. Okay. The conference opened with a paper by Murray Eden, professor of the electrical engineering at MIT, entitled The Inadequacy of Neo-Darwinian Evolution as a Scientific Theory. He proceeded to show that if it uh, required a mere six mutations to bring about an adaptive change, this would occur by chance only once in a billion years, while if two dozen genes were involved, it would require 10 billion years, much longer than the accepted age of the Earth. So, right there, just for this little tiny, tiny, tiny piece of adaptation would require 10 billion years longer than the age of the Earth. And so mathematicians were saying, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. You can't go based on statistical chance here because it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't. And, and Jonathan, we won't read it, but in Romans 1, 18, and 18 to 20, it talks about God, the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against unrighteousness because everything about God is made evident to us. That's right. Honeybees and flower, flowers. You know, we're given a sense of design. Just a couple of quick, quick scriptures that talk about design in the, in the Bible that you might not think. You know, water is recycled in the earth's uh, uh, cycle, recycle rotation. The Bible tells us that in Job 36, 27 to 29. For he draws up the drops of water. He distills his mist in the air, which the skies pour down and drop upon mortals abundantly. 
can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds, the thunderings of his pavilion? This is describing the cycle of, of, of water going up from the, from the moisture on the earth up into the sky and raining down upon us again. How did they know that back then? How did they know that way back in the days of Job? And Jonathan, this next one about oceanography. This is about ocean currents. This is astounding. The birds of the air and the fish of the sea whatever passes along the paths of the seas. How would King David, who had never been to an ocean in his life, know that there were currents in the ocean, under the ocean, way out in the middle of the ocean? He talks about whatever paths uh, passes along the paths of the seas. How would he know that those existed? Those only came into formal, formal understanding, I think back in the 1850s or something. And the birds, it's the airstream. So you've got, you've got paths in the air and paths under the sea, yes. and yet they knew. How did they know? Now, was it chance? Did somebody whisper in their ear? Who, who whispered? Who designed all of these things? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, Should You Not Be a Christian? Part 3. Academia proves the Bible was not inspired by God, but through men's political goals to serve human purposes. Well, they say there's proof, so it must be true. That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Should You Not Be a Christian? Part 3. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now on our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And, Jonathan, we were talking about science a, a few minutes ago. We're going we're gonna to break from that for a few minutes. We're going to go to academia here, and then we're going to come back to science in, in a little bit. So um, uh, let's get to this, this particular soundbite here, uh, because this um, talks about academia and the documentary hypothesis, which let me just explain to you what the documentary hypothesis is. And again, go to ChristianQuestions.com, sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition. It's a free service. It's an email. It comes to you with a PDF attachment, and it will give you all of this information and much, much more. The documentary hypothesis uh, proposes that the Torah was derived from originally independent, parallel, and complete narratives, which were subsequently combined into the current form by a series of editors. The number of these usually is set at four, but is not an essential part of the hypothesis. So it's basically saying that uh, the, the Torah, the basis of the Old Testament, wasn't, is, it was just sort of edited to fit something specific, and that's what this soundbite is all about. I'd always assumed that the Bible's origins were unknown to academia, and that we had no reason to doubt that it had been inspired by God. However, through the documentary hypothesis, the professor had shown me that academia had made a well-documented and thorough study into the origins of the Bible, and had come to a consensus about precisely how much of it was put together using human reasoning. Among the evidence they found was a set of clear political goals that served very human purposes. So I could see how it was possible that there really was no God inspiring them, but rather that the Bible was just the result of their own human reasoning. I could see how it was possible that they only thought God was inspiring them. 
All right, so much there. Oh, there is. So much in so little time. But before we get to commenting on that, Jonathan, why don't we go to the phones? All right, well, we have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Uh, gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. Uh, respectfully to this young man, uh, I, I will rebut his uh, change of heart. Uh, it's, it's so sad. You know the Bible, uh, uh, how many people, powerful people, try to destroy the Bible? It uh, it uh, continues. Uh, it, it just uh, it's uh, God's word. You can never destroy God's word. Uh, no, no way. But anyway, a couple of points on the, on the subject here. Uh, Matthew seven twenty one. Mm-hmm. Not all that say Lord Lord will inherit the kingdom. Will enter the kingdom of God. That just talk. You know, the heart is another matter. Like you're saying, emotions versus uh, the. The, the mind and so forth, or the heart. And uh, number two, uh, the parable of the sower. That's a wonderful illustration there. You know, how the seed goes into a good ground or a shallow ground. Right, right, good one. Will it germinate, you know, and uh, bring forth fruit, and what kind of fruit does it bring? It's another illustration. It's Matthew 13, 24 starts the parable of the sower. And number three, it's the, the cute one I shared with you uh uh, a few weeks ago, about uh, uh, if God is your co-pilot, swap seats with Him. <laughs> and uh, the problem is that folks, when they do that, sometimes then they become backseat drivers. <laughs> oh. God bless. Thanks, Julius. <laughs> <laughs> All right, very well said. And uh, he, he's right. You know, the the parable of the sower really helps us to understand that. Look, the seeds of the gospel are not always received. Uh, and sometimes they grow up quickly, but they have no deep roots. Mm-hmm. And that really does sound like what we're talking about here. It does. So, Julius, thanks so much for the, the thoughts, the scriptures, and so forth. Uh, Jonathan, academia and this documentary hypothesis. He says, well, okay, they've discovered that there were clear political goals uh, in, in the Old Testament, and therefore, obviously, it could not be uh, you know, from God, but it was obviously a man-driven uh, item because of man-driven goals. So, here's a question. Clear political goals. Uh, you know what? And I agree with that. But do they have the slightest clue as to where those goals were to lead? That's my question to them. That's my question. Okay, great. Yes, there were clear political goals. Let's look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Just read verses 2 and 3 here. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now there's a political statement, Jonathan. And in you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. That is a political statement by God to Abraham saying, this is my intention. How selfish. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, it's not selfish. No, of course not. (laughs) This is my intention for you and for all of the families of the earth. And what's the intention? Blessing. Blessing. That's the clear political goal driven by God. And that's why Abraham was told to separate himself out so there could be a people that would be built to house that blessing to all the nations of the earth. So does academia say that Abraham wasn't around and he really didn't do everything that he did? Well, perhaps they do. And interestingly on that point, back in 1917, American archaeologist William F. Albright Okay, and there's just a couple of short paragraphs here about he was uh, steeped in documentary hypothesis, and here's what happened to him. Uh, he was completing his 
indoctrination into the documentary hypothesis which taught that most of the Old Testament's history before the Israelite kings was myth. Okay, Abraham. In 1918, he wrote an article about the mythical elements of Abraham's military campaigns. In 1929, William Albright discovers and excavates a line of Bronze Age cities exactly described the route for Abraham's military campaign described in Genesis 14. Albright later wrote, there can be no doubt that archaeologically has confirmed the substantial historical uh, historicity yeah that's what I said of the Old Testament tradition (laughs) (laughs) so here you had somebody steeped in this documentary hypothesis and then discoveries were made that actually traced the path that Abraham according to Genesis 14 uh, had followed and actually happened So, so it's saying yes these places did exist the way Genesis the book of Genesis laid them out to have existed and that takes away from this idea. So when they say, well, all of academia has come to the conclusion that, I would say, well, be careful because there is a lot in archaeology that actually does prove the Bible as, uh, as, as, as accurate. And, and this is just one just very one small... Just one many. Right. Now, and, and here's the thing. Political agenda, yes. God's, God's clear political agenda is to develop a people through whom the world will be blessed. He did that in the Old Testament with Israel. You only have I known of all the nations of the earth. Remember that? Yes. Well, let's look at 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18. Therefore, come out of from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So now this is talking about come out of them. This is talking about Gentiles having the opportunity to be followers of Christ and therefore children of God. Mm-hmm. So you had Israel as being children of God and the Gentiles having the opportunity to be the children of God. All for the same pers- per- per- person, purpose to bless the families of the earth. That's what it's there for. Yes, there is a political agenda. And it is a good one. And you want to adhere to this <laughs> one because sure. this is driven by God, the author of the sacred writings of the scriptures. Jonathan, um, j- just before we go to the phone, Here's a quote that I just, I I don't know where it came from, but this is a great one. The atheist can't find God for the same reason that a thief can't find a policeman. (laughs) (laughs) And really, Jonathan, when you look at it, when you look at science and the way science is built, science is built to avoid intelligent design. That's their goal from the start? Well, I, it is, because if you, if you accept intelligent design, then you begin to cross over into this area of, okay, there's something greater out there, and you can't have that, because it comes too close to what we see as God, and then what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And so they go to great lengths, and they go through great blindness, self-induced blindness to avoid the intelligence behind all of creation. Jonathan, let's go to the phones. All right, well, we have Randall from Connecticut. Good morning, Randall, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning. Happy Sunday, guys. You too. We have 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, whoever thinks he is standing secure should take care not to fall. I would first caution this young man that he was not secure in his Christianity, and he may not be that secure in his new atheism. And also that we take many things as fact from ancient records, that we have as much or as less written evidence as Christ rising from the dead. John 19.35, an eyewitness has testified. He knows that he is speaking the truth. 
so that you may also come to believe. Communism said there is no God, but then went ahead to make gods of Lenin, Marx, and Stalin. I would caution this young man to not make the same mistake, especially with one class. Listen to the longings of your heart for the higher truth that you seek. Allow for the possibility that this dryness that you feel now is an experience that could lead you to greater faith. It's happened before. 2 Corinthians 5.17, the old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Randall, thanks so much. We appreciate it. God bless you guys. Take you care. Too. And, you know, when you, when you think about it, uh, I think that this, this young man is really steeped in his atheism at this point. Uh, but Randall's point is well taken, that there's, there's much more to the Christian side of the issue than, than previously thought. And, and then that's really what we're getting into. And, and Jonathan, we're, gonna, we're actually going to skip the next soundbite because, you know, we're running shy on time here. Um, but he's talking the next soundbite about um, physics really doesn't need God because physics is, is, has got its laws and it exists and it, and it works. And you know what? Great, that's fine. But you know, God is the original beginner of all of that. Those are the things that these guys just, I don't understand. Look, they're smarter than we are. Why don't they see design behind physics? It's designed. You know, it's not just, it's just, just not random stuff. There's a design behind it. Another, another, another point in terms of design. Do you know how a woodpecker can so violently pound its beak against a tree and not suffer brain damage? Th- this is very interesting. I, and I, I came across this reading on National Geographic, and it really, uh, my eyes just bugged out when I read this. It all has to do with the tongue of the woodpecker. And you say, you say what, do you, what has this got to do with anything? Just wait, okay? It has to do with the tongue of the woodpecker. The tongue, woodpecker. The tongue actually wraps around the back of its brain, okay, to serve as a cushion. So when it's pounding its beak against the, the tree, it, will, it, it cushions the, the blow to the brain. Wow, and it stabilizes right. the, the shock and the pounding. Right, it's, oh. it's stabilized. So there is no damage. That, how, tell me how that could have evolved small step by small step. You w- couldn't have evolved it because you would have had a, a bunch of brain-dead woodpeckers that would not have been able to reproduce. <laughs> That's a good point. So it could not have evolved. It had to have been designed. And if there is a design, there is a designer. I tell you, it's just amazing to me. God is a grand designer. Do you know? That in the Bible, in ancient history, you know, they used to think that everything revolved around the earth. Yes. And uh, in ancient, in the, in the scriptures, in Psalms, it talks about the sun, the sun actually moving around in an orbit. Okay, now this is interesting because nobody would have ever thought of this. Psalm 19, 4 to 6, again, just read a couple of portions. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun, and like a strong man runs its course, it rises, it it. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. So he says he has set a tent for the sun. Now use the the, the visualization. A tent is giving you uh, an area in which to move. Mm-hmm. A okay. parameter. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. So it's saying that the sun itself moves through the heavens. The sun itself. Now how did they know that? Because when you look up in the sky, what you see is all the stars and things moving around. But, you, you know, the sun, you know, the sun rises and sets, and mm-hmm. you think, okay, well, the sun is moving around the earth. But this is saying that it moves throughout the heavens. So this is showing you a, a greater understanding. 
ancient understanding, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago. And then it talks about the fact that the earth is round and is surrounded by an atmosphere. I mean, this is in Isaiah 40:22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in. So he's talking about stretching out the heavens like a curtain and like a tent for the earth. In creation, remember when it talks about um, the heavens here equals atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Okay, remember in creation it talks about the firmament. Yes, that's talking about the atmosphere. So it, the Genesis account is, is another proof that the Genesis account is focusing on the creation of the earth, not the creation of all of the universe together, but the creation of the earth. These scriptures are showing us understanding of astronomy that was just way before its time. And there's many more. Uh, Yes, these are just a couple of quick little things, but how do we know these things? How did they know these things? How does a woodpecker's tongue know to wrap itself all the way around the back of its brain to protect it? Is that just by random chance, as science must believe in their religious fervor, or is there a grand design to all of these things? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, Should You Not Be a Christian? Part 3. Coming up, Occam's Razor. Not Remington or Noralco. Occam's razor is used when you're faced with two opposite explanations to a circumstance. Which will you choose? That's next. Gel or foam? <laughs> you're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Should You Not Be a Christian? Part 3. If you have a thought, give us a call at 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now on our website, ChristianQuestions.net. And Jonathan, we are talking about looking at science and we're looking at the idea that uh, did things happen by random chance or is there design behind it all? Let's go to the phones. I understand we have Keith from Tennessee. And Keith, uh, I understand you want to talk about how statistics prove God's existence. Let's hear what you have. Okay, uh, thanks, Jesus. That's uh, the last time I'll be no more. From a statistical standpoint, I once computed the statistical probability of God's existence. And at that time... Uh, according to Dr. Hugh Ross, the, the famous uh, astronomer or astrophysicist, the, there uh, are over 3,000 fulfilled Old Testament and New Testament prophecies, including 300 about Jesus and, and 400 that the Jews would be dispersed all over the world and then all be brought back uh, to Israel, which uh, implies, of course, that the country would be reestablished, which it was when I was five years old in, in 1948. But um, anyway... Um, uh, not only that, I won't get into Bible because there are, you know, possibly millions of those, including, um, you know, the entire table of elements, oxygen, hydrogen, and a hundred plus others, and the the winners and losers of all U.S. presidential elections. But from a scientific standpoint, you brought out some things which, uh, uh, you know, from that standpoint, I believe the best um, source is Grant Jeffrey's The Signature of God. In fact, I believe the collected works of Grant Jeffrey pretty much prove the existence of God, but, you know, that's debatable. But I've always wanted to ask an atheist, how how did Moses know that um, the amount of vitamin K in a male's bloodstream uh, is greater on the eighth day of his life than on any other day of his life? Um, But, 
you know, in fact, with respect to prophecy, Basra and Damascus were in the news, and it looks like two of those prophecies of Isaiah may about to become come to may uh, come to pass shortly. Uh, one of them indicates D- Damascus, one of the oldest cities in the world, will be destroyed. But um, time will tell them that. But, All right, All right uh, uh, Keith, we, we need to run. We really appreciate your, your thoughts. A lot of really good thoughts here. Thanks so much. God bless. Take care. And, 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 you know, I, I love Keith's zeal, you know, and, and he's saying all of these prophecies, and we haven't even touched on prophecy, Jonathan, haven't even touched on it, so I'm so glad that Keith <laughs> brought it in, because yeah. it shows you the validity of the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, uh, so Keith, thank, thanks so, so much for, for all of that. So, Jonathan, let's get to Occam's Razor. Yeah, and Occam's uh, Razor. Occam's ra- what is Occam's Razor? Let's go to the next soundbite and find out. And folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. What the professor was engaging in my mind was the concept of Occam's Razor. Occam's Razor states that when faced with two opposing explanations for the same set of evidence, our minds will naturally prefer the explanation that makes the fewest assumptions. So if an event or process can be explained without an extra superficial element, our minds will naturally shave that element away using Occam's Razor. For example, if I heard a loud bump in my closet, I may initially think there's some kind of animal in there, moving around. However, if upon opening the closet, I discover that I've left a box precariously close to the edge of the shelf, and that the box is now on the floor, I probably wouldn't think there is an animal anymore. Okay, so he's saying Occam's razor is uh, when you've got two opposing explanations with the same set of evidence, your mind naturally will throw away the thing that makes the least amount of sense. Okay. All right, and you know what? The scriptures tell us to do that. First Thessalonians 5.21. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. See, so instead of Occam's razor, you could say, well, Thessalonians reasoning. Mm-hmm. And you're saying the same thing. Examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which makes the most sense, to that which is good. So, yes, the scriptures agree with this Occam's razor approach. So now let's see how he uses that in the next soundbite. Further. If I looked around carefully in the closet with a flashlight and didn't find an animal, or any evidence of an animal such as hair or claw marks, or any evidence that an animal had escaped the closet, such as a hole in the wall, I probably wouldn't think there was an animal there. In my mind, I have two opposing explanations. One is that an animal knocked the box off the shelf, causing the noise I heard. The other is that the box just fell off the shelf because of natural processes like a lack of friction and gravity, or the fact that the shelf was tilted. If I wanted to go on believing that an animal had caused the noise, I would have to make assumptions that I have no evidence for. So what he's doing with this illustration of Occam's razor is he's saying the animal represents the existence of God. And he's saying that the box fell off the shelf, and I want to believe that an animal, the existence of God essentially, caused that to happen. But when I open the closet, there is no evidence for that. You have natural circumstances and natural occurrences. Therefore, to go on believing that the animal, quote, the existence of God, was the, was the, was the cause, would be foolish. Because it doesn't make sense. And you know what? If you apply it that way, he's right. But here's the problem, Jonathan. Here's the problem with, with, with his Occam's razor uh, uh, illustration. Occam's razor cannot shave the fact that this young man, by his own admission, began the chain of events himself by placing the box on the shelf. He said it. He said, I, I put the box on the shelf. Therefore, 
the natural processes that he is attributing to the box falling off the shelf um, that, that caused it to fall were directly precipitated by his own conscious action. He created the scenario. He caused the box to fall over. Because the way he put it up on the shelf and he didn't put it all the way on or the shelf was tilted and every time you close the door the vibration would mm -hmm. and so forth and so on. But he was the initial start of that. So it wasn't just random natural occurrence. It was random natural occurrence as a result of a creative effort. Good point. So his razor shaved the wrong thing. <laughs> his razor should have said, I didn't really put the box on the shelf. It magically appeared there all by itself. Oh, not magically, just statistically, not statistically, because that doesn't work either. It just randomly appeared all by itself. But no, he says, I put it there. So it just doesn't work. Okay? His illustration to say, well, though you can't prove God, is taken away because he himself proved that there was an intelligent action behind the scenario. Interesting. Okay, folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. Well, studying the Bible and talking about today's Christian topics, go to ChristianQuestions.com for audio, video, CQ Rewind, and other free resources no one else has on the planet. All programs are recorded and archived online. Check them out at ChristianQuestions.com. All right, Jonathan, I want to go to one other thing in the scriptures that gives you a sense of the, the, the brilliance behind the scriptures that we just don't think about. Job 38.31. Can you bind the cluster of the Pleiades or loose the belt of Orion? The Pleiades are seven stars that travel together in a cluster, and they always travel together. How did they know that? The belt of Orion. Everybody knows the belt of Orion. That's the most recognized constellation, I think, in the heavens. Mm -hmm. And it says, or can you loose the belt of Orion? Do you know, I know you know because we've talked about this many times before, that the belt of Orion actually is going to come apart over the next several hundred thousand years? And science just found that out how, how long ago? Um, about 20 yeah, years? Yeah, it's, it's, it's relatively recent. It really is. And yet, in Job, it's talking about loosing the belt of Orion. Why? How could they possibly have known? Because it's going to take so long that human observation cannot even begin to determine it until you get really scientific with it. How did they know? How did, how did Job know that the belt of Orion could be loosed? Just like he knew that the, the, the Pleiades, and incidentally, there's only six stars that you can see in the Pleiades, but there's actually seven. How did they know that? How did they know? Because the Bible is the inspired word of God. That's how they knew that. And now, Jonathan, our last soundbite is going to be an individual who once was an atheist. His name is Anthony Flew, F-L-E-W, and he, for about 50 years, was the world, most world-renowned atheist, talking about science and so forth. This is where he ended up having to draw the line and reconsider his thinking. This happened um, maybe six or seven years ago. Listen to this carefully. This is fascinating. Flew turns to various discoveries of science to prove his point. From the fossil records showing the sudden appearance of a fully developed life to the emergence of visual consciousness across the animal kingdom to the basic need for reproduction. But it is the manifestation of life written in DNA and the transcription of DNA to RNA and RNA into protein and the subsequent process of protein folding that makes the best case for flu. Uh, what, what I think that the DNA material has done has shown by its almost unbelievable complexity 
of the arrangements which uh, lead to produce uh, this being uh, that uh, intelligence must have been involved in uh, getting these extraordinarily diverse elements um, uh, to work together. All right, there he says it. Intelligence must have been involved in getting these extraordinarily diverse elements to work together. Because it gets more complex as you go smaller. Right, right. <laughs> and, and so, uh, would Occam's razor cut intelligence or chance out of that? When you see the, 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 the DNA transcription to RNA uh, and the subsequent process of the proteins and the folding of the proteins, those are all things that, if you say, are random acts of chance, would literally take hundreds of billions of years to develop. Where do you say, well, no, that was designed that way? And if you say that was designed that way, guess what? There is a designer. Yes. And, and Jonathan, one other scripture here? I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. And that's the point. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, created by a designer. I want to give Jonathan in the last minute or two here uh, just a quick illustration of a test from Mr. Occam and his razor. Okay. All right. All right. We know the speed of light is 186,000 miles per second, mm -hmm. which means that in one year, light travels 5,874,000,000,000 miles, approximately. The closest star to Earth is over four light years away, which is over 23 trillion miles away. Is that a long distance? Oh, yeah. You need an oil change on your way, right? <laughs> okay. Okay. Here's your task. And I'm, this, is, this is silly for a purpose. Your task is to shoot an arrow from the closest star to hit a target the size of a large pizza on Earth's moon. Now, is it possible or is that impossible? Uh, it's not pretty impossible, does it? Does. Okay, wait, 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 there's more. Now you have to hit the target five times in a row. What? Oh, wait, 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 one, one more thing. Uh, you're blindfolded. Now, when you look at that, you say, okay, uh, guys, could it happen by pure chance? Could it happen by pure random chance? How long would it take? How long would it take? How long would it take? Or could it happen if there was a guidance system placed on the arrow? See, the whole point is, Jonathan, when people look at science and they attribute it to pure random chance, they're attributing it to this scenario of being 23 trillion miles away and shooting an arrow uh, across that expanse. And that is, incidentally, a really tiny expanse of the universe. That's the closest start of the Earth. Yeah, that's small. That's small. <laughs> and hitting a pizza pie, a pizza cheese pizza with pepperoni and all that on, 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 on the moon okay and it, could it happen well, sure if you had however many billions and 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 trillions of years of course maybe 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 it could happen once science does not and for the life of me I don't understand why they do not give in to the fact that there is design and when you think about random chance versus design, which one is Occam's razor going to throw out? Is it going to throw out the fact that there is a design to these things? Or is it say, no, it has to be random chance. We don't care how long. We don't care how unlikely. We don't care how foolish. There has to be random chance. Folks, that's the answer to this query about following Christianity and following the scriptures or not. The bottom line is if you believe in a God above, you believe in design, you believe in something that is bigger than us, and something that has not only design, but a plan for all of mankind. For Jonathan and Rick, it's Christian Questions. We truly hope you've enjoyed being with us. We've certainly enjoyed being with you, especially this topic. It really is fascinating. Go to ChristianQuestions.com, sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition, and get even more. Until next week, look, follow reason. 
follow reason, not random chance, and you can find the answers and find peace. Think about it.